Hello again, and welcome back to the Break the Twitch podcast on minimizing distractions and doing more of what matters through minimalism, habits, and creativity. I am your host, Anthony Ungaro. In this episode, I sit down with my friend, Joel Zaslavsky. Joel is the community animator, multi-potentialite, and quantum biology enthusiast behind a bunch of cool things. He's the connections and operations guy for the Putty Tribe. He hosts the popular Smart and Simple Matters podcast and has one overarching theme in life, to bring people together. You'll often find him deep in a minimalist spreadsheet, making his wonderful wife roll her eyes at his antics, or playing with his two young sons around Edina, Minnesota. Otherwise, Joel's out walking on frozen lakes when available, worshiping the sun, or reigniting his personal renaissance. We talk a little bit about all of the above, and there's a lot of great references and resources to glean from this particular episode. At one point, Joel even explains the theory and framework behind Break the Twitch even better than I probably could. This is a fascinating discussion with Joel, and you're definitely going to enjoy it. As always, this podcast is brought to you ad-free by the Break the Twitch member community. Members get monthly 21-day audio courses, access to a private member-only forum, and a 20-minute one-on-one welcome call with me to show you around the place. You can join this amazing, intentional, living-focused online community right now for just $9 a month. Find out more at breakthetwitch.com slash community. But for now, let's start the show. Hey, Joel. Hey. How's it going, up, brother? How you doing? Somewhere between super and duper which is what I sometimes tell people for a joke, but I actually am in the super to duper spectrum right now. Break that down for me really quick. Where where does that lie on well, the greater spectrum? Super duper. Let's let's just start with the starting point of the spectrum, which is super. And that's a pretty amazing place to be because I have a wonderful life. I'm not saying that to boast. It's just I genuinely love my life and I'm grateful for everything in it. And then as you work your way from super, which is kind of my baseline, all the way over to duper, it just gets better and better and better and better. So I'm I'm somewhere in there. The fact that we're doing this together and I get an opportunity to talk to an awesome dude about a whole bunch of cool things. I'm pretty sure that if I'm not there in towards duper now, I will be by the end of our conversation. What I liked about that scale was that it already is just high. The, the, yeah. the whole thing, it's already up there. Uh, there's no, well, on a scale of bad to worse, uh, which is something you hear a lot. Well, this is bringing back uh, some thoughts and some memories as we sit here, because there's a lot of history that, that you and I have around this stuff, uh, this idea of intentional living and and even why Break the Twitch exists in the first place. Origin story. Origin story. So we met at Minibar, which was the tech-centric event at Best Buy headquarters in Minneapolis. Well, actually in Bloomington, but we'll call it the Twin Cities. And uh, 
we met there and sat down and ended up talking for like two hours. How, how did you end up at, at that event? Back when I first started a entrepreneurial thing in March, 2012, I was thinking I'm gonna do some things with personal finance and organizing and simplifying. And I had no idea what I was doing for a long time. Still wake up a lot of days wondering, uh, do, I, do I actually know the things I do? Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And as a massive extrovert, I had not really gotten out. Like all of this time as an entrepreneur, it was just me in my home office. And I thought, well, I wanna go and experience and have conversations with real in-person people. Where might my people be, especially locally around the Twin Cities area? And as I started talking with a couple of other folks that I knew, they said, hey, have you heard about this thing called Minibar? It's for tech people and design people and just kind of a cool, funky, unconference vibe. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm good at finding websites. So I found the <laughs> website and I read it and I thought, yeah, it's a free unconference type thing for a day. And I'm sure there'll be at least a couple of cool people that I meet there. So I just took a flyer on it and decided to show up at the events and talk about website design and building or podcasting or whatever else where, where there was some overlap between my interests and other people's interests. And the, the cool thing is my interests are so expansive that I'm never struggling to figure out where is kind of a midpoint or where do we align on something? Um, there's always a lot of things. and. If it's not something that I already know, since I'm so easily fascinated, I can just get caught up in someone else's passions or stories and ask them question after question after question after question, which I've been told can be a problem, especially <laughs> for new people. I can be, my energy levels are already quite high and my question asking can be a bit intense. So uh, fortunately you showed up at the same lunch table as me and we're also very curious and we're looking to have conversations about whatever the heck people wanted to talk about that day. Uh, and we just started from there. Yeah, which our conversation included things like meditation at this tech conference, uh, simple living. You sort of introduced me to the, that name or the you know kind of the idea. I know Amy and I had been exploring a lot of these themes and things throughout the previous years, but meeting you and the the things that uh, came after that definitely helped provide a context, a name, more of a system for looking at this type of thing. And so that's been really cool. Uh, it was your event, Simple Rev, that I learned even more about this stuff and met Joshua Becker and, and just learned so much more. And for that, I'm forever grateful because Break the Twitch likely would not exist without your influence. So Aww. this is me saying thank you. <laughs> So tell me how you got interested in the idea of simple living and, and what it means to you. A lot of it was more about the intentional side of things. I've never been one who needs to declutter and the physical aspects, which is where most people get into um, their, their calendar is just an absolute mess. They're going from one thing to another thing to another thing. Uh, I only had a couple of core things at the point where I decided, what's this? What's this minimalism thing? What's this simple living thing? I was working in a corporate job for about 50 hours a week and including transportation back and forth from downtown Minneapolis. That was about 60 hours of my day or of my week right there. 
And then I was playing video games far too late into the evening, uh, World of Warcraft specifically, and I was really, that had its tentacles deep in me. So I had these two things. It's not like I was bouncing from one thing to another to another. I just had these two things, which were these giant anchors on my time, on my attention, on my possibilities in life, I, which were really limited. I was just focused on how much money can I make and how many video games can I play? And in the meantime, I'll do a little bit of volunteering here and there, and I'll make sure that my marriage doesn't fall apart, and I'll try to be a good friend to some other people for a few times. And then I thought, there's, but there's got to be more. There's, I have to be able to take a, a deliberate, conscious view of the future of my life. I can't just be sleepwalking through the rest of my life. And that's where minimalism and simple living and other things, slow living, there's a lot of different synonyms and they're not all the same. Each one has their own wrinkle and their own focus. Uh, I just really thought I want to have an intentional life. I want to have relationships that I am in because this person is amazing, not necessarily because I have a whole bunch of history with them and I don't even particularly care for them all that much. We just hang out because We've always hung out because we were buddies in high school or buddies in college or whatever it may happen to be. Um, the work that I was doing, I wanted to do something that had direct impact on people, not just through layers of giant corporation where I would work on this project that affected 10,000 employees to give them a new customer relationship management tool and we were done or a new back office system that took year, two years and it was done and I thought it was done well, but what was the impact? Nobody knew that I was working on it. Nobody said, hey, hey, I see I see that what you did in that little system over here and how that data is printing out of my client statement. Fine work, Joel. <laughs> yeah, buddy. There was none of that in there. So I just wanted to take this very holistic approach to what would life be like? What if I made decisions about my health, the work, my relationships, everything where I focused on what was intentional um, and that's where it was stripping away a lot of the things that previously I thought, this is it. This is what life is all about. And I've got it made. And then I realized, especially when I had my first kid, no, I don't. In fact, I'm going in a direction that will probably lead to uh, being a horrible parent and being a poor partner and just being consumed by all the things that I didn't want to be consumed by anymore. Was there a particular moment that this started to shift for you? Was there a moment? Sometimes it's a moment. Sometimes it's a progression. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the moment that my personal renaissance began, Melinda, my wife, gave that term to it a couple of months into it. Uh, April 2010, where Melinda, my wife again, told me that she was pregnant with our first son, Grant. And I was just so excited. She came into our office. I was, of course, trying to enjoy playing some video games, and she interrupted to be like, hey, guess what? I'm pregnant. <laughs> and I thought, awesome. We want this. We, we always, we've been together for almost 20 years, and at that point, we had been together for 12. And we knew that we wanted to have two kids. So this was the news that number one of two was going to be showing up in about eight months. And then literally an hour later, it, I mean, it took so little time for my ecstasy and joy of I'm going to be a papa to turn into dread is always the word that I use to describe it like this wasn't like slowly crept over me it just 
came out of nowhere and enveloped me because I realized that with the focus on work and with the focus on video games, that in eight months, if I didn't do something about both of them, that I was going to be a horrible parent. I wasn't going to be physically present for this kid and I wasn't going to be emotionally available for him. I say him now. I didn't know what the gender was at the time. Um, so I, I, at that moment, I decided no more video games. And I, I don't do well in moderation. So I'm kind of a black and white, all in, all out kind of guy. And I just decided I can't, there's no healthy level of video games for me. I'm just going to stop. And that in itself was wonderful because I reclaimed hours of my week, probably 15 to 20 hours of my week right there where a lot of them were allocated to sleeping, which is good, <laughs> good sleep or better sleep at least makes a huge difference in just being able to see the world for what is or what could be having a better view on reality and where I might go. That was a big part of it too. And then stepping out of this little bubble that I'd created for myself and wondering what, what, what's out there. I, for the first time I had a chance to intellectually explore different ideas or different ways of being and working and existing than I had up to that point. That is, Incredible. And it's uh, what a moment to be able to create those changes. Uh, was it an immediate shift? You went cold turkey. I, for one, completely can relate to the moderation. I really struggle with moderation and, and I always do the best when I just just cut it and just go, nope, I'm not going to eat this stuff or I'm not going to do this thing. Uh, it's always generally easier for me. And I've, I've heard that there are two different types. There are moderators and there are... are abstainers. Abstainers. You're using Gretchen Rubin language There we go, now. yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, did that shift happen? What was sort of the progression of, of doing this? Was it just a moment and you're like, not doing this anymore, and that was it? Or did it, it, the video game stop, then work change? Like, what, would, what did that process look like? Yeah. Well, the so the video game stopped, and then the time that I was spending at work reading online forums about the video game that I was playing so that I could strategize what to do when I actually got the point of playing, I reclaimed that time as well, and that was instant. Um, and then what do I replace it with? Well, sleep was part of it, but then another part was, okay, maybe I don't want to do this kind of work anymore. Maybe I don't want to work in this kind of corporate environment or be in the financial industry, which is all about making money purely for my perspective of making as much money as I could. What do I replace that with? Well, there was already a personal finance blog that I was reading at that point in time, and somehow it linked out to, I think it was Zen Habits, Leo Babauta's Zen Habits at some point in time. And I thought, oh, that's kind of neat. Here's this guy who, he's got lots of kids and doesn't sound like we really have similar experiences, but he's talking about something that's touching me on a fundamentally human level that even if he was an alien who had come down and was able to type some things into a computer that it would still make a lot of sense to me in terms of reclaiming your time and your attention and not being so distracted by uh, what our culture says is important how how can i use my internal compass to decide for the first time what is important to me and the directions that I want to go and where I can best help myself and help others. So it led me to sites about minimalism, which ultimately went to Joshua Becker and Courtney Carver and a whole bunch of people. Um, and then that, that branched out too, because I'm not just a one 
topic kind of guy like that was awesome but there was also things in the paleo sphere that were cool and i was learning about this concept of multi-potentiality having a life around your diverse interests and passions and creative outlets uh, and i was also finding about other topics like rewilding and i could tell you a whole bunch of things that you probably don't need me to sit down and describe like what is that what is that what is that but this is where my mind was where i was finally giving myself an opportunity to say what is that and what does that mean to me? How do I incorporate these little pieces that are out there in the world and have them be absorbed to make a holistic person instead of just being on default mode? Well, there is there is one of those things that I'm going to unpack a little bit, and it is the uh, term of multi-potentialite, because this is a term that you introduced me to years ago and one that I have since introduced to many, many more people. Mm. Uh, oh you must be a multi-potentialite. <laughs> and uh, for those listening, you probably will describe it best. Uh, what the heck is a, a multi-potentialite? Can I start with the story first? Please. Okay, because as you describing it to people, so I'm gonna give you a little story here. I'm gonna share a con the conversation I had with Anthony about uh, being a multi-potentialite. I think it was the second time that you and I got together we went to some local coffee shop and we were sitting outside. It was a nice day. And we were just getting to know each other a little bit better. And you were describing your issues with distraction and perhaps unofficial or like maybe I just have ADHD or maybe there's something clinically or psychologically wrong to me. And as you were describing more and more about how you would bounce from this to that, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you just, you just sound a bit like a multi-potentialite to me. I don't necessarily see anything wrong here. These things that we feel are flaws or weaknesses or that we're broken somehow, um, like we don't want to consume like other people do. We don't want to focus on just one thing. That multi-potentiality or being a multi-potentialite, somebody with the diversity of interests, passions, and creative outlets, which is totally me and has always been me, but I only really understood that level or that label and accepted the label when I first became aware of Emily Wapnick's work of puttylike.com. Um, and then I read her description of it on her terminology page and I thought, that sounds good. I like that, I am that. Now what does that look like in my life? As I figure out what kind of work that I wanna do, do I wanna niche down, which a lot of people do, or do I wanna niche up? I wanted to niche up. Do I want to limit my interests or the podcasts I listen to or the blogs that I read to like one or two core things? Or do I wanna to try to do 20 or 30 of them? Well, I wanna do 20 or 30 of them because I love the diversity and the depth as well. Um, so this concept of being a multi-potentialite is something that I've had this conversation with so many people over the years. Is like, is that a real thing? Yes, it's a real thing. And from my perspective, how could it not be a real thing? because I believe the default mode of especially all children is to be intensely curious and to explore intellectually, physically, emotionally. And that's only just like creativity sometimes can be um, taken out of us through the educational systems or certain cultures. I feel like multi-potentiality as well is also very slowly extracted from us through a conversation that we have with an adult, which is just like, well, just play piano. Like, why do you need to play the bassoon and the guitar and have a drum set? Like, why isn't the piano good enough for you? Or when we ask kids, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's just, the question itself is that there's a singular answer, as opposed to what are some of the things that you would like to do 
when you are old enough to do things? Now that's a longer question, but that's a better question because it's not limiting and it, it allows us to imagine a life where we're not defined by any singular thing. A relationship, the work that we do, um, a hobby, we can be defined by the entirety of it instead of just a little portion of it. I have to say that the term multipotentialite, learning what that was, was a view-changing, world-changing concept for me. You introduced something that blew my mind because really up until that point, I did feel like I was fundamentally broken, that I was not working in the way that the world was designed to work. And I was just always interested in so many things. I always loved the learning curve of everything from learning music to log rolling to uh, computer stuff to building websites. And now the last couple of years of doing video and audio and really learning it. And I always learn by just diving in and just doing it and, and making mistakes and learning along the way and pushing myself to get better and better. But the world in a lot of ways I've always heard is, is set up to specialize, to um, get really good at something and then get paid a lot, hopefully, to do that one thing really well. And that's the secret to a successful life. And I always thought that, uh, that I was never gonna be me because I really liked doing lots of different things and knowing a good amount about a broad array of subjects. And it wasn't until my 30s, like I turned 30 and started to look back at everything and realize that the learning curve of most things is similar in the way that I learned. I loved learning how to learn new things. And that became an invaluable tool for say teaching how to learn new things or sharing how I learn new things, which turns out is pretty helpful to people. Um, and so that concept alone has been one that has shifted my life away from a sense of feeling like I was just never going to do what the world wanted me to do. And I might as well just kind of feel broken to, wow, this is something that's real and I can use this in a productive way in society and life and feel good about it. Mm -hmm. I, I just can't let your log rolling <laughs> example slide. No pun intended. Uh, I, you have such an awesome lumberjack vibe that you put off to me. I can imagine you with a much bushier beard and some awesome flannel. Mm -hmm. I can see you on that log in oh, yeah. my head. And I can see you with an ax, like in those competitions that I, they used to be on ESPN where they would have for a half an hour, like lumberjack style competitions, who can chop this block the fast enough or who can go on the log you maybe someday will still make an excellent lumberjack slash log roller. Thank you. Uh, I loved it. Uh, I loved it. I did it as you've a- You've done it. Uh, like, <laughs> this is an actual thing that you've done. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it was actually a program at the local YMCA mm. when I was younger in Ann Arbor, Michigan growing up. And my, my Cub Scout troop went to go do it once and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna keep doing that. <laughs> that is awesome. So I ended up doing it for like two years where I was practicing several times a week going and, uh, and doing it a ton and I loved it. And it was just one of those things that was this weird happenstance occurrence. I'm like, ooh, I like that. I wanna get better at it. And I eventually moved down to the, the smaller log which spins faster than the you know bigger log thanks to physics i probably don't understand fully and and uh 
and uh, it was a blast. And it's something I, I might want to go see if I can return to. I've seen some log rolling logs over at uh, Lake Bitamakaska, I believe it's pronounced right here, in Minneapolis. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll check that out. Now with full plaid and beard. I, I would hope it's not required. But perhaps if you can pull it off, encouraged. Indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned something about better sleep. And this is something that I have been relatively interested in and focusing on because as an entrepreneur, we find that we work throughout the day up to the night on and off. And so we've been working on creating some boundaries for ourselves. And when I say we, I mean my wife, Amy, and and, um, and I were working on making sure we're getting enough sleep. That's one of the biggest things we've changed is just allowing ourselves to get seven or eight hours of sleep a night and focusing on that. What's something that has changed for you around sleep or what's something that you've learned that that has helped you sleep better? Yeah, I've learned so much. One of the, there was a book recently called Sleep Better by Sean Stevenson, who uh, has a podcast called The Model Health Show. One of my favorite podcasts. I don't listen anymore, but a lot of the cool ideas that I've been introduced to are through the Model Health Show, like this concept of rewilding uh, and another guy named Daniel Vitalis. It's cool. I love these audio and video shows because you hear someone say a word and you're like, what's that? And you run a Google search and there's this whole world of cool things that are behind it. Um, So reading that, I mean, there's there's tons of things. And here's the the weird thing. And the awesome thing about humans is you can never just say, just do that and you'll be good. It's that and that and that and that, unless you are this kind of person who is in this kind of environment or has this kind of like setup within your home or you travel, you only if you travel this many hours, it doesn't work if you're going east, doesn't work if you're going west. Lots of things that are in there. But as far as sleep goes, so I thought it was be in a dark room, be somewhere that's quiet, Uh, Make sure that you uh, have a calm brain when you go to sleep. Like, don't play thunderous rock the second before you're trying to go to sleep. Like, kind of quiet the mind a little bit before you chill out. And all those things are really important and they help. This is one of those things where I just cannot shut up about it because it is so fascinating and disturbing. Uh, Quantum biology is looking at biological systems, like humans, for example, from a physics first perspective. I learned about this uh, February 2018, listening to a podcast, and I didn't understand any of it when I first heard about light and magnetism and water, all words that I've heard before, but the interaction of them and how they work on the cellular level and the subcellular level just kind of blew my mind wide open. And when it comes to sleep, I used to think, okay, so I exercise a little bit and that helps me sleep better. True. But thinking about sleep from uh, like what is what's actually happening inside of your brain and your body when you're sleeping. And there's things like there's an electrical current that basically reverses, especially in your brain when you're sleeping to rejuvenate and to repair through things like autophagy, which is a word that I never heard of before. But it's the ways it's the body's way of recycling and repairing things, which happens when you're sleeping. Well, in order to prepare your body to have optimal autophagy, say that five times fast. I don't think I can. <laughs> is uh, getting morning sunlight. 
like one of the absolute best things that you can do is you and the sun having a connection. No windows, no glasses, no contacts, nothing between that awesome glowing orb coming up over the horizon and your eyes for three to five minutes. That sets this whole cascade of circadian biology and all of these chemicals that you've heard of before, serotonin and dopamine and cortisol and like all of those things are regulated through light for the most part. And the light that you wanna get, the more that I've learned is the sun. There is no replacement for the sun. And there is no replacement for early morning sunlight when it comes to setting your circadian rhythm and having that aid your sleep. So these are some of the things that I've been learning. Um, and it's not just sleep, you know, through this world of science, through quantum biology, I've also really increased my, it's, it's weird how these things work, but sometimes you just learn things because you're interested and you like science. And then you realize, oh, but there's more and it impacts everything in your life. So I have, I'm not really a spiritual guy. I've, I haven't been at least for a while, but I have such a deep spiritual relationship to the sun now. Like I worship the sun. I absolutely worship the sun. And it's because I know what's happening when I get the sun in my life, on my skin, through my eyes. Uh, and I just, I mean, I knew that it's the source of all life in our world. Intellectually, we all know that. No sun, nothing exists. Uh, but being able to form this kind of spiritual connection with the sun, even when I can't actually see it, if it's behind clouds, 31% of ultraviolet light penetrates even the densest clouds. These are the fun facts that you learn when you get into the world of quantum biology. Um, but it affects sleep, it affects work, it affects relationships, anything that's important to you, any of our core human needs, from the breath, to the water that you drink, to the food that you eat, light is a has a role in every single part of it and not just like a small role it's fundamental the more you understand light the more you understand everything else i find this incredibly fascinating and for anyone else that does as well can you recommend maybe just a single starting point where they can go read more or learn more about this stuff well, it depends on the the medium. Like there are some people, let's just assume because people are watching us or listening to us uh, that they like things that people say verbally. Uh, there's a guy, his name is Dr. Jack Cruz. Last name is spelled K-R-U-S-E. And he's a neurosurgeon uh, who has been into this world for over a decade. A lot of podcast interviews specifically there's one with a guy named Evan Brand who's a functional medicine doctor um, and that was my introduction to the world of quantum biology is listening to this hour-long podcast episode um, uh, with Evan Brand I think that's a great start as long as people understand that this guy Jack Dr. Dr. Jack Cruz is abrasive intentionally so he refuses to dumb down the science for people. You really have to come up to his level. He's not coming down to meet you where you are. Uh, and a lot of what you might hear is gonna go totally over your head, just like it did for me. But I still, a year into this fascination and reading so much and listening to all of these things, I still haven't find a better starting point than this hour long podcast interview. Um, and in some ways, I'm the messenger, this guy, Jack, 
he's a poor messenger for such an unbelievably important message, but I haven't found anyone who can synthesize and explain anywhere close to he can in the level of detail. Like what you might get from him in an hour, it might take you 50 hours from a whole bunch of other places. As you know, Break the Twitch is very focused on building habits in the space created through minimalism so that we can be super creative in lots of different areas in our lives. Habits are something we've discussed quite a bit. I'm curious, what are some of the keystone habits that you do on a maybe day-to-day -day basis, week-to-week, -week, or maybe morning routine, something like that, anything that you might do on a regular basis that you find helpful? I So I used to have a whole bunch of habits like meditation and drinking water first thing in the morning, spring water specifically that I get myself from a local spring around here. And then I thought I should probably reverse engineer this from a, a values-based system where I always did habits individually because they seemed kind of cool and they would be beneficial for me or the people around me. And then through a guy named Christopher Carter, KC uh, of thisepiclife.com, he has something he calls full life integration and a process of defining your non-negotiables, the things that you cannot extract from your life. They're sacred life ingredients. And I really like this concept of defining your habits from a place of values or what he calls capital V virtues. So what are the things that you stand for? What are the things like for me, it's kindness uh, and it's generosity. And sun worship has recently become one of my new capital V virtues. And then figuring out how do you, what's the lens in which you look through the world? And then what are the things that are non-negotiable to you? So I have five non-negotiables and we don't have to go through all of them, but knowing what they are, then I can start thinking about are the existing habits that I have in service of these things that are non-negotiable to me? Verbal impact is one of them. Like right now, this is super cool. You and I are having a verbal impact on other people's lives as they listen to us talk. And that's super important to me because I don't write well and you typically won't find me on video. Uh, and there's a lot of other creative mediums that I just am not interested in or I'm not very good at, but I can make an impact with my voice. So how do I create a life? What kind of habits, whether it's podcasting myself or whether it's making sure that every month I get together a bunch of world changers through a global movement like Live Your Legend and I facilitate conversation among them. Like these are the habits. Sometimes they're daily, sometimes they're weekly, sometimes they're monthly. They can fluctuate where I've started to think about what are my virtues and what are my non-negotiables and how do I redefine the habits that boil up to them as opposed to kind of taking things one off and just plumping them in like, hey, I heard meditation's good for you. Cool. I'll do that for, well, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Yeah. Great. And I do. But what's the trade-off? Is that how you want to be? Is that how you want to show up in the world and where you want to focus your limited resources on these one-off habits? Or do you want to think about them more holistically? So I've really enjoyed that aspect of the more holistic approach to habits. So within that holistic approach, is there a way that you track those habits? If not, how do you make sure you're doing them? Because the things that are in alignment with your values, because for me, I know that the best way that I can make sure I'm doing it is to basically do it every day. So I have 
an app that I use, then I check it off for the day once I've taken my vitamins in the morning and I've hit my macros for the day and protein and stuff that I'm working on doing and and I've sat or I've worked on Chinese for the day. If I don't do that, I find it falls out of sight, out of mind, and and I have trouble keeping it up. So how how do you manage that? There are a number of ways. I'm a very uh, process-oriented guy, and I love my systems. A couple of things that I'll mention is, one, I have a spreadsheet. I have a spreadsheet for a lot of things, but I have a spreadsheet that tracks on a daily basis my non-negotiables, my five things, and I give myself a grade. Complete, partially complete, not complete. I totally fell down on that. Sometimes it's not applicable. Um, for example, like having verbal impact. If I'm just hanging out with my kids on a Saturday and we're just messing around, I'm not really expecting to change their lives through my creative storytelling and the children's books that we're reading, although I do every once in a while. Um, so that might be uh, not applicable. And I track that at the end of each day at 9 p.m. on my Google Calendar. There's a reminder that pops up that says non-negotiables. And I know exactly what that means. It means go into my spreadsheet and give myself a grade on whether I've actually lived on a daily basis these five things that I say I have to. Uh, and then there's also, I love my Google Calendar and I'm still, you can think of it as a strength or a weakness and some days it seems like both, but I am very good at planning and very good at scheduling. So when it comes to the things that are important, habitual connection, like not just one off, hey, maybe I'll hang out with a cool human, but like I constantly need to be, feel connected to awesome humans. So habitual connection in terms of tracking that, I have time blocked off on my calendar on certain days, like Friday from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. You can be sure that if you're my friend or somebody that I know, you might be getting a text from me or a phone call, or I might be trying to set up time for us to get together in person or online if you live in Australia, like some awesome people I know. So there's certain things where I don't necessarily need to track whether I'm living these habits that I say are important to me, they're already scheduled. And that appointment with myself on my Google Calendar, just like my commitment to my family or to the work that I'm doing, like that is just as big of a commitment as anything else. So as long as it makes it on the calendar and I say, this habit that is so important to me, I just look at my calendar and I do the thing that past Joel said, hey, current Joel, it would be in your best interest to do this thing because I was the smart, fresh one on Sat Sunday evening who was planning out your week. And current Joel, all you need to do is just follow what past Joel said was most important for you and life is gonna be really good. That's great. Something that I used to joke about myself with this that you just reminded me of was any time that I would not finish a cookie and I'd leave it in my desk at work, uh, the next day, I would see it and be like, whoa, thanks, past Anthony. <laughs> Today, Anthony has half a cookie now. <laughs> oh, that sounds so silly to, to say out loud. But it's those were the times whenever I would literally speak in that context of now Anthony being generous to future Anthony, mm -hmm. my future self of like, hey, there's still half that. And, and it means I only ate half of it in that moment yeah uh that it would that context would help me literally be kind to my future self and uh 
it's it's oddly helpful uh saying this is for future anthony like tomorrow anthony mm-hmm. it doesn't exist yet it's not real but i'm gonna think about him and do this for him right it's an act of kindness and compassion to your future self to realize that this is perhaps my biggest challenge in life is the current version of me what i want right now i'm always looking to sell out future me through whatever my current desires are right now and this goes with impulses this goes with like when we check our smartphones for various notifications like yes that feels great right now but what if i continue to do that for an hour or for a week or for a month or for a year or for a decade what if i continually just do what feels good and feels right right now what's my life going to look like in the future if i'm just constantly being like oh, it's, it's it's just a little just a little thing no big deal it's just mm-hmm. a cookie let's just check on facebook one more time yeah yeah you're breaking into twitch territory there mm. um and and that's uh the biggest thing i've learned with my personal renaissance of of break the twitch of exploring more of this stuff around social media smartphone usage and how a lot of this stuff is designed to be manipulative psychologically and and every moment in the present making that choice in a way that again reflects values and it's never perfect it's never this idealistic look of uh, i get the question so do you not have to worry about breaking the twitch anymore right and it's like no i worry about it all the time and that's what makes it worth it that's what makes it work in that these are things that are easy in the moment that that feel like a bit of relief in the moment even though it's not what's going to best serve mm-hmm. future anthony right uh, in feeling filled up having your bucket filled in the sense of personal contentment satisfaction contribution and and so that's been the journey and and that's why it's so so worth it is because i thought you put it so well we're constantly we're constantly trying to sell out our future selves for our current selves uh and there's lots of other organizations external forces that are also trying to get us to sell out our future selves for what we want right now. Mm -hmm. And so balancing that obviously is uh, part of the trick of this intentional living thing. Well, one of the things I like what you've got going on with Break the Twitch so much is so that you have these three things, creativity, habits, and minimalism. And each one helps with the other ones. So the better you get at one, like if you just wanna be a creative dynamo and you wanna be an author or you wanna be a YouTube creator or whatever, you wanna make hand puppets, whatever version of creativity it is, like when you focus on what's most important through minimalism, for example, or through habits like say meditation and clearing the mind and not getting distracted and much, that helps your creativity. And when you feel this creative energy that's flowing through you as well, you start thinking of new ideas, new ways of doing things. Some of these habits that are holding you back or that have just slowly crept into your life and you're like, how did you get here? You're not supposed to be here. Get out of here. You think, oh, I, I bet, let me try to experiment. Let me try to try something and figure it out. Like each of these things aids all the other ones. So as we, increase our competency or our focus on one level like all these other things 
kind of go up and sometimes sometimes it feels like oh man step back like going down but in general like you're working your way up here and then all of a sudden you're way up there and you're like hey <laughs> this feels good yeah uh thank you i i may just put that in my new uh, youtube channel intro because i think you just explained it as well as i could uh if not better um yeah, it, it's uh, it's uh, what it, this has become. It started as a minimalism thing. Wow, we're decluttering is awesome. Like we're creating space, we're saving money, we're doing all these things that have enabled us to do so many things. Hey, how are we going to use this space? Let's start showing up every day in ways that that matter to us. Uh, and then once you're doing that, and your days look like you're really building momentum with that, why not add in the creative aspect of exploring curiosity over fear as as uh, Elizabeth Gilbert so eloquently puts it. And uh, for me, this has really become a life philosophy. This is something that matters so much to me, and, and it's the reason I talk about it, because if it didn't, I wouldn't be talking about it. Um, and it matters so much to me in the sense of that this is, for me, it's become a framework of active participation in my life, <laughs> uh, of seeing these elements, and when one isn't happening, like, what's going on? What needs to be removed? Has something crept in? Yep. There's the minimalism, like, am I showing up every day? There's the habits. Am I looking at this in terms of using all of our resources in a way that benefits us, benefits the people we love, benefits others? Are we really tapping into our potential here creatively? You know, uh, that's, that's what it's become. And uh, thank you for seeing that. Thank you for recognizing that. As you know, I am an extrovert, as I know you are as well. Uh, one that depends on lots of social interaction, relationships, creative collaboration, especially is one that I've really noticed recently uh, that I want to be on set making stuff with people that I love and that I care about and want to work with and do things like that. Um, how do you manage working from home and making sure that you get that bucket filling interaction. Uh, this is something I've really struggled with over the last year, actually. And so I'm really curious if there's a system or something you've devised to make sure this is happening. Yeah. Well, I'd say, first of all, if you're working from home, you could have any kind of arrangement. You could be employed, you could be self-employed, you could be a freelancer. I mean, you, there's a lot of different ways that people end up with or choose to work at home. And the specific kind of work environment is going to be different for me. Um, I generally do collaborative work where I have a role where I run an online community called the Putty Tribe for multi-potentialites. Uh, and through that role, I often get to talk to a lot of people. Even though I'm physically in my home alone, it's just me and my dog, Lucia, and we're the only two there while my wife is out working and my boys are either at school or preschool. Um, I, I have secluded myself at home I've tried co-working, I'm horrible. Productivity-wise at co-working, I'm awesome at making new friends in co-working spaces, but really bad at actually getting work done. Um, so I've said I can't do co-working because there's just too many interesting humans to interact with. Uh, but getting this energy, I've actually been surprised as much as I love in-person stuff, and that's where a lot of the real magic happens for me, it's surprising how much the brain, especially my extroverted brain, reacts positively and gets filled up by virtual interaction with people. So I have lots of 
conversations with friends or people who are in the Putty Tribe community, uh, whether it's one-off or whether it's in small groups, over Skype and Zoom or Google Hangouts, I'm very frequently having face-to-face -face interaction with a lot of really cool people, often around the world, who I'm not gonna end up in Sydney, Australia anytime soon, but I know that there's some really cool people there who happen to be awake at the same time that I am. So a big part of working at home and filling my social bucket and getting that energy level up and keeping it up is scheduling that connection time in virtually. Uh, I also have been known as I'm walking my dog each day when I see neighbors who are around as I'm coming back to work or something, I do tend to linger. I'm well known in my neighborhood. <laughs> Sometimes people might see me walking down the street and be like, I better hide because I don't want to talk to Joel for the next 20 minutes. I got other things that I need to do right now. But I tend to do that kind of on the edges a little bit too. And really when you have a, a cool conversation, even if it's quick, even if it's just for five or 10 minutes, I've really been surprised at how long that lasts in terms of the good vibes and the energy and before like you need your next, okay, I need to talk to another human again. Mm -hmm. What's been your experience with keeping your your energy levels high and your social bucket full while still working solo or with Amy and mm -hmm. partnership to some extent where it's just kind of a very small bubble? The biggest realization was that when I left my full-time job back in early 2016, I quickly realized that Interactions were no longer built in just by default. It took me a while to realize why I had so little energy all the time and what it was that was causing that um, because, again, it wasn't something that I was actively thinking about because I was just in an office with coworkers all day who were all trying to get people to ride more bikes, and that's just what we were doing all day. And it was somewhat collaborative. It was somewhat, you know, a good feeling thing we were doing. And, and I, I didn't realize how much I was relying on that aspect of working at an office job or working at a nonprofit with other people. Well, I'll say one thing for people who are like, I'm not an extrovert and I don't understand what you guys are talking about. If you're introverted or ambiverted or whatever it may happen to be, uh, a tool, something that gets you out of your email inbox, your text messages more, is a, some kind of scheduling service where you can sync it up with your digital calendar if you have one, iCalendar, Google Calendar, Microsoft Outlook, whatever it may happen to be. So I use a service called Schedule Once where because I'm constantly pinging people being like, hey, do you want to talk now? Do you want to talk now? Sometimes it's in person, sometimes it's virtual, sometimes it's in the same time zone, sometimes it's not. Uh, this schedule one service and there's other free tools like doodle people have heard of before or Zoyando, which is something that X O Y O N D O uh, wonky interface, but it works really well. Having being able to step back a lot of what exhausts people when it comes to interacting with others is just setting up the coordination to make it happen. So I've really enjoyed using some kind of a scheduling service, which allows you to click a link and then say, I'm available these times. When are you available? Where should we meet? Like it's all in one place, all in one step. So there's not this constant back and forth. And, oh, well, four days ago I was available, but now I'm not anymore because these things have shifted. 
I really recommend if people want to, it's a simplifying device and it's also um, just makes life easy. Even if you're only using it like once or, tw or twice a month, uh, if your life isn't really, hey, let's interact with a whole bunch of awesome humans all the time, that kind of thing can really help you focus on the interaction and the human behind it as well, even though it can kind of feel to some people like, what, why, why are you just sending me a link? This all feels very impersonal. Yes, it can be, but it's in service of real human connection. So you mentioned schedule once something that I think requires a bit of a higher level of organization calendar wise in order to implement because I tried using it and I, I think I'm going to try using it again, especially creating maybe like a day a week that's just open to meetings and anyone can just click there once I send it over. But are there any other types of tools or, or resources like that that you use to simplify aspects of your life? Yeah, uh, a lot, but I'll mention one other one. And for people who have never heard of RSS before, real simple syndication, it's a way of taking a lot of various sources of online content and aggregating them all into one spot. Google Reader used to do this, and now the best tool that I found is a site called Feedly, F-E-E-D-L-Y, feedly.com. So I have all of these different blogs that I read because I'm a multi-potentialite, and I have all of these different podcasts that I listen to, and each one of them have an RSS feed where you can go to the website and there's that little broadcasting looking like those three little rings that looks like it's transmitting something out there. You can grab that link and you can put it all into Feedly or into another aggregating tool like that. So you don't have to go out to the website and check, is there a new podcast episode available? So yes, you can go through iTunes. Yes, you can go through Overcast, but I don't want to use those separate tools. Like it's it doesn't care what the medium is. If there's an opinion writer for the New York Times or for the Washington Post, and they've got an RSS feed, I just put it all into Feedly. And then when they publish something new, I don't have to be on the email list. I don't have to go into this service and that service and this one for this thing and that thing. It's all in one place. And with the exception of YouTube channels, which YouTube, RSS feeds, come on, YouTube. Seems logical. Yeah, they don't, but hey, what are you going to do? Um, all of these things where I just really enjoy them, whether they're short form or long form, whether they're written or whether they're audio, and there are some, video, there are some things that have video RSS feeds as well, getting them all into one place. Feedly, in my example, simplifies the heck out of all of these different things that I want to keep track of online. That reminds me of something that I've had a few conversations about recently, which is an information diet uh, of sorts. Is that something that uh, you've thought about or is that something that you actively manage the way that you consume information? No, I tend to take the fire hose of the world and the internet and reduce it down to this manageable trickle. But my trickle, somebody would look at it and be like, whoa, that's a gusher. Uh, I tend to not necessarily every blog post that comes through my RSS feed or podcast episode, I don't listen or watch them all. I'm very selective. So I, I take the opportunity, I take lots of opportunities to experience something, but then I'm very selective about, I don't actually, I'm not interested in this right now, or this is a guest post from a blogger who never heard of them before. And I'm sure they're a wonderful human, but I'm just not really interested in learning something new. I like, I have my people and I'm kind of sticking with them. Um, so I'm actually, I, I, through 
these tools and through simplifying and knowing what I like to focus on and how I'd like to expand and broaden my horizons, I actually take in more than I did say three or five years ago. Mm. And it doesn't feel overwhelming at all. It doesn't feel like it distracts me or detracts from my family life or my work or my ability to go hang out and do cool things around town. Um, I found with the right mindset, what is this doing for me? Is it getting me to pay more attention and to constantly keep up and keep up and keep up? Or is it just saying, I'm here if you want me, hmm. check me out. I have opted into sources and headlines and other things where people are like, here's an invitation to check me out, but I'm not gonna try to fool you into some kind of scarcity or limited time offer or anything. I don't pay any attention to that kind of stuff. So it gets pretty easy to take in a bunch of things without just constantly being overwhelmed by them. Mm -hmm. So that's consumption. On the flip side of that is creation. And something that you at one point introduced me to is the idea of a continuous creation challenge. Now, uh, obviously a foundational element of Break the Twitch being creativity, creating, is something I'm very interested in. And so I'd be curious, first of all, what is a continuous creation challenge? And during the last time you did one, what were some of the things that I assume got created? Yeah, it's been a long time. I love how you bring this up. You know, you know, there are certain certain things that you create where you're like, that was really cool to me, nice job. And they just kind of drift away or people don't really know that they exist. And it's kind of fun when somebody brings up something that you have created. And in this case, the continuous creation challenge, which it's not a unique idea. There's all kinds of creative challenges out there. Everything from National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo, like write 50,000 words in November. And that's an awesome creative challenge, which really says you have this concrete period of time where you focus on creating. Mine is not on writing a book or a novel. Mine is the continuous creation challenge is for anywhere from 12 hours to a year, you decide. If you wanna focus on creating and mitigating or almost completely eliminating consumption, which you get to define. Like some people think listening to music is not consumption. That's just their life and that's part of their life and they can't imagine a life without music. Well, for me, music falls into the consumption bucket and I can't listen to music and create at the same time. So in my checklist and I have checklists and I have procedures because that's the kind of nerd I am. Um, and it's, you can have like the short version and the long version where you can say over this 24 hour period, 48 hour period, whatever, however long you want, I will create these types of things and I will not consume these types of things. And then you just go do it. There's some prep that goes into it too. Like you can't just, especially if you have certain responsibilities to people around you, you can't just call time out on life and be like, Hey, I'm just going to go create for a week and then I'll come back. Normally your friends and family and other people want to know ahead of time if you're entering into this kind of intense phase of creation, but it's a pretty easy way for people to decide ex whether it's an experiment or whether it's a reoccurring ongoing thing. It just emphasizes that we are creative beings. Humans were not designed to just endlessly consume that we are most joyful and fulfilled uh, and help each other a lot when we're creating things. So you don't have to become a hermit. Um, you can certainly co-create in these kinds of periods of time. Uh, it's been 
your question though of hey well, what did you last do i don't think i've done one for maybe three three and a half years oh wow yeah I f the cool thing is i haven't felt like i needed it one of the reasons why i created the continuous creation challenge was i had these intense periods of time where i was just learning and absorbing so much and i a month would go by and i'd realize i haven't created a new blog post or a new birth like handmade birthday card like all i've been doing is just consuming I want to make sure that I build in this creation phase. But now I've integrated creation into my day-to-day -day and my week-to-week, -week, and I don't really need to have this kind of burst of creativity. There's no giant project that I have that I need to call time out on life to really get into. Hmm. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of uh, handmade cards. I enjoy telling people in print, if possible, how much they rock. Uh, blog posts and podcast episodes were things that I had done, uh, spreadsheets that I wanted to create, these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So maybe it is, a, it, it is a good way to get started. It's something to kind of put some boundaries on it, put some rules and, and work within those creative limitations uh, to get things going. If, if you're not feeling like you're outputting stuff, it kind of helps you get started maybe. Mm -hmm. Or... For a lot of people who may be like me, for the first 30, 30 years of my life, I did not think of myself as creative, hmm. really in any way, other than say, I could do some funny farm animal voices. Like I've always enjoyed using my voice for in creative ways, but I didn't draw and I didn't write and all of these traditional ways. So sometimes it's nice to have this period of time where you're just forced to think of creative ways of showing up in the world and it might be completely unconventional. You might not even think that whatever it is that you have in my mind is, uh, that's not really all that creative. If it didn't exist and it does exist as a result of you working on it, then that is an act of creativity and you are a creative person. Mm -hmm. So I have felt, and I've seen other people do this, realizing that they are creative or they're creative in a way that they didn't expect that they thought is really cool and that has blossomed and continued in some surprising ways for them. Yeah, one of the things I, I get a lot when I talk about creating for the heck of it uh, is, isn't my thing just gonna add to the noise? What, what might you tell someone that, that says that? Well, don't add it, just do it for yourself. Just because you put, like just because you paint or just because you 3D print something or whatever it may happen to be, it doesn't need to show up on Instagram or Facebook or a blog or anything else. Like just do it because it's fun to create. And is it going to add to the noise? Sure, it's possible if you decide to share your creation with other people. Maybe that's the whole point of it too. There's a lot of noise in the world too. But if you are proud of what you've done or it's just funky and crazy and wild and you just wanna be like, look at this weird thing that I did. I don't think it's necessarily adding to the noise at all. One of the things that I associate you with in many ways is the idea of community. I know you manage uh, the community at Putty Tribe, but you've done events, you've done different things, and you are an excellent fosterer of community. How did that come about? And maybe what are some ways that you do that that would be helpful for people looking to build some community in their yeah. lives? Well, I guess it starts with the acknowledgement that I was a really selfish human for a long time. Until my personal renaissance began, I was looking to extract much more than I was looking to give. 
And then I got into a service other centric, community centric mode. The the biggest part, like this overarching theme, I talk about when people ask me, hey Joel, what do you do? I tell them I bring people together, often in fun and meaningful ways. But that is kind of the overarching theme that not just what I do, but who I am and how I show up, I bring people together. And the thing that crystallized it for me, a guy named Scott Dinsmore of Live Your Legend, um, he wrote a blog post in January 2014 where he talked about how his year, and he had these three words, bring people together. And I looked at those three words together, bring people together. And I thought, that's it. This is me and this is, this is what I want to do. Like this is how I want to give and be creative and get fulfilled. Um, so having that as my overarching theme, especially as a multi-potentialite, since there's so many different ways that I can go, it's really nice to have this guiding force that says, is this thing that I'm about to do helping me bring people together? It's not like if the answer is no, then don't do it. But then it adds me to, or it prompts me to question myself. Um, so yeah, I've done events bringing people together. Uh, but again, in community form, it's not like I run events and then everyone is in their own room journaling. That's great. And there are events like that, but I have events where people feel interconnected and perhaps that they're creating or imagining possibilities together. That's really important to me that a lot of these are activity or conversation based. And the way that that shows up, man, um, so many ways. There's a neighborhood association where in the area of Edina, Minnesota, the 1400 person neighborhood that I live in, uh, I co-chair the neighborhood association and I do things like block parties and help make cultural events happen. I love that. I love going door to door, inviting people face to face to cool things that are in our neighborhood. And I often bring my son with me as well so that he knows that bringing people together all starts with the invitation. And there's not necessarily one way to do it right, but there's a lot of ways to do it in a really human, really cool way. And often knocking on someone's door and getting past their skepticism and saying, hey, you might not have heard, but we have this thing happening at the school on Friday night. Would you like to come check it out? Uh, there's a couple of other organizations that are global in nature. I already mentioned Live Your Legend. Uh, I have hosted monthly gatherings for the Minneapolis St. Paul Live Your Legend chapter, Live Your Legend Local for over five years. And I really believe in the mission to change the world by doing work that you love. Uh, yeah. Lots of things that fall into that bringing people together category. Mm -hmm. And uh, the thing is, this isn't natural for a lot of people. And I love being the person who either helps make it happen or shows people that it's not so hard. That putting inviting some people over for dinner to your house, which I, me and my wife, how we like doing, we're just going to make the meal that we are already planning on making all we have to do is put a couple of extra place setting and make sure that we're home when somebody shows up to our door. Bringing people together, folks think that it needs to be perfect or that it needs to be super planned. It doesn't. Uh, there's so many ways to do it. And every single time that I do it, and it's not my personality, it's not just my community-centric view of the world, but the people who tend to show up, they're just 
grateful. There's unfortunately a, a lack of togetherness and this feeling of cohesion that we're part of something bigger. And each time that somebody says, I'm willing to bring people together, it's a giant gift to all the people who you invite to show up. Mm -hmm. Are there some ideas or, or things that you might be able to share for someone wanting to start their own community, small or large, or simply find a community or be in community, I think is a good way to put it for themselves, but don't know necessarily what to even start with. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of great books on the topic. I'm assuming that people might not have time to read a whole book on, it's kind of a, a revival of community and people talking about it and writing about it and discussing it. Uh, I would, instead of trying to start your own, whether it's online or offline, I would just go out and find a community that resonates with you and participate in it. So the, the primary lens in which I view community is through assets and gifts and skills and talents. There's a, there's a philosophy called asset-based community development, ABCD, which says that every single human who's ever lived has assets or gifts that they can give to their community. So instead of trying to go and figure out where are the problems, where are the holes, just bring your gifts, whatever they may happen to be, things that you know a ton about, things that you're passionate about, like what you can create with your digital or physical hands, the cool social connections you have, either directly or on behalf of an organization that you're affiliated with, like taking these assets, these gifts that you have, and bringing them into existing communities and sharing them, that for me is always step number one, is not trying to create anything new, is take what's existing, all of the awesome existing resources, and finding a community that needs someone like you or would just be tickled pink to find out that you know a ton about spreadsheets or that you can juggle or that you can build a tiny house or whatever may happen to be. That's always the first place that I ask people is figure out the things that you'd like to give and go find a place that wants your gifts. Joel, what are you excited about right now? A lot, uh, always excited about a lot of things. The one that is most on my mind is my wife and I have decided to go live abroad uh, for the first time. We've, I've lived in the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro area for 35 of my 39 years with four years in the Madison, Wisconsin area when I went to college. Like I've always lived in the upper Midwest. And I love this place and this town and I can see myself living here for the rest of my life, but not for every second of the rest of my life. I want, and Melinda, my wife, we want to have our children who are eight and five years old, we want them to experience a different culture, a different way of being. Um, we want our boys, while they're young, to experience being an other, somebody who is outside of the dominant culture, um, being thrust into, while still supported, uncomfortable positions where they don't speak the language of the kids who they might be in summer camp with, or they go to some kind of festival and the people who are there don't look like them and they don't speak like them, they don't dress like them. But seeing that this little bubble that they live in is just one way of doing life and there are lots of other ways. So I'm really excited. We're actively planning to live in the Amsterdam area for three-ish months in 2019, in the summer of 2019, 
while also being able to take a couple of side trips to some other places. So I am, I, mean, I think it's just gonna be awesome for me and Melinda, but we're doing this primarily for our boys to give them this gift of loving travel and seeing how it can open up new ways of being and new possibilities in your life. Um, that's probably the thing that I'm most excited about right now is doing something that I never thought that we would do, which is living somewhere other than the Twin Cities and doing it in a place which is still comfortable for our boys, but also challenging for them. We're gonna see what happens. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. One thing that I didn't mention though is I want to show them how much more we're similar than we're different. Yeah. We're going somewhere because it's different than where we live, but I want through the differences for them to see just how fundamentally the same we humans are, regardless of the century, regardless of the country. Um, so I really want them to feel that connection to humanity and that these people, although they look and might talk differently than me, we're all driven by the same urges. We all have the similar struggles and it would be really nice for them to experience that firsthand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think it's time for the question bowl. So there's a vessel, <laughs> a glass vessel to your right that has questions from previous guests, a few questions from YouTube commenters and other folks that they would like to ask someone here at this very table. All right. Let's see what's up with this. If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Oh man. And this is, is a, that a who is that question from? This is from BTT. Oh, so it's a it's one of the original we we stacked the deck when we first started the podcast <laughs> because we had some uh break the twitch questions and so you got one of those. This is a question that my children there's lots of superhero talk in my household <laughs> and they're constantly talking about what powers would you have and when they ask me I've been asked this question a number of times. So I'm sorry, this is kind of a non-answer. Uh, but I would say I can't answer this question because it would make me pick a favorite. And too many of the questions, especially ones that we ask children, and this is something that I'm actively trying to train my kids out of, especially when they ask questions is, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? What's your favorite? And there's this emphasis on the pinnacle, on the number one thing, which tends to devalue number two and three and 100, which are still pretty awesome. So all this to say, I mean, if I was invisible or if I could fly or if I had super strength, sounds pretty <laughs> rad. Groovy, yes, I'd do that. But I actively do not answer that question, partially because I'm trying to change my tr train my children that this question is good, but perhaps there are other questions that could get to a similar place that don't involve picking a favorite. Well, where can people find you online to learn more about you and what you're doing? I am at joelzeslowski.com. My last name is spelled Z-A-S-L-O-F-S-K-Y, since it's a bit of a doozy. Uh, that's, my, that's my hub, if you will. I'm not doing social media these days. I mean, I might tweet once every other week, but there's nothing really of value. I'm not really doing Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram. But there's a lot of cool stuff on my personal website, joelsoslowski.com. The Continuous Creation Challenge that you mentioned there is there. Uh, a microcosm of this asset-based community development thing that I was talking about. It's called an offers and needs market, where we figure out in real time 
what are the things that we can offer and what are the things that we need and how can we have those met internally within a community in a non-commercial way. There's some pretty cool resources that are in there. Um, and if people want to hang out with me more than that and they like this whole multi-potentialite thing, then I run an online community called The Putty Tribe. So it's theputtytribe.com. And most of my work time is dedicated to bringing people together around their multi-potentiality and building a life around all of their interests, which is really hard, but also really fun. Those are the two main places. Good stuff. Well, uh, I can attest there are a lot of good things, uh, great stuff at joelzavlovsky.com. And uh, really appreciate you coming on the podcast and all of your contributions to my own journey and, and more. So thank you. Thanks, brother. It was fun. And that concludes my conversation with Joel. If you enjoyed this episode, please do take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's a huge help to podcasts like this one in getting the word out there so other folks can find it. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and I'll see you in the next one.